0: It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
1: Daily Assist brought to you by our friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, Lee'sheatac.com. Out to the Sprint special guest line we go. They make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability from Sports Illustrated. He's our good friend, Chris Mannix. Hi, Chris. How are you this fine Monday? What's going on, guys? Hey, Chris, we were just talking about the Jazz news today. Let's start with uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. He uh, undergoes season-ending wrist surgery. If uh, the season is to return, he will not be a part of it. Uh, that hurts the Jazz a lot, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty devastating. You're talking about a guy that was I mean, instrumentally involved in what they did offensively, and you can certainly say that probably takes the Jazz out of... Whatever contention, title contention, or whatever they want to call it, whatever the NBA comes back at, uh, because he was so valuable. But it just kind of sort of reinforces a point I was hearing and have been hearing from other general managers that you know when whenever the NBA comes back, it's it's just not a resumption of the season. It's it's a new thing. Now whatever you want to call it, it's it's not a continuation of what the league left behind in mid March. There's just been too many changes and. And too much has, has just gone all over the place to come back and call it a continuation. Uh, it's, you know, they'll, they'll probably call it whatever happens a championship or a champion, but it's just, uh, it just not going to be the same thing.
2: Chris, uh, okay, two different uh, issues here. One is it looks like the NBA is lurching toward uh, having something, whatever you want to call it. My question to you is do you think they should – because you've been about as cautious as anybody we've talked to, and I think responsibly so, about moving forward the right way. Do you think this is the right thing, the right way, the right time?
0: I mean, look, if you look at it through just the eyes of the medical community or the science community, no, they shouldn't have it. I mean, there's just it just seems highly unlikely that – we're going to be at a point where we can guarantee safety of players, staffers, older members of the coaching staff uh, by the time this thing ramps up in in the middle of the summer. Um, There certainly will be improvements. Obviously, testing gets better by the week, but, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, it's a safer situation coming back in November, December than it is coming back in, in June or July, but the reality is the NBA can't look through that lens. I mean, they, They're a business, and it it would cost them an enormous amount of money in the long term if they don't come back with some type of postseason that satisfies the agreements they have with the broadcast networks, because that really is the only significant source of income that they have coming in, that broadcast revenue. So, you know, look, I mean, the short answer is no, they shouldn't come back, but it just isn't that simple. They're going to have to come back uh, to, 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 to really salvage some kind of financial success at this
1: season, Chris. The other big news in jazz world today: Vice President of Player Personnel Walt Perrin is uh, leaving to take an assistant GM job with the Knicks. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh, with Walt. He's uh, he's a great guy and has been a mainstay around here mm-hmm. for 20 years. But talk about what the Knicks are doing, putting together their front office.
0: Well, they're they're doing smart things. You know, when you look at I mean, if you have a team like the Jazz who have one of the deepest, you know, rosters of front office talent of any team in the league, with, you know, Justin and David, you know, right behind Dennis Lindsey at the top. Uh, you're going to lose guys. I mean, the Spurs lost guys for years. Dennis Lindsey was one of those guys that, that they lost. So when you establish a, a deep bench uh, in your front office, you're going to you're going to lose top guys. And and Walt was one of those guys. He's as you mentioned, the experience he has has been intimately involved in. In many of the things they've done in Utah over the years, the successful things they've done specifically, you know, when it comes to drafting players and developing young talent, and that's what the Knicks need. You know, and the Knicks are basically one step above a college team right now in terms of the average age of a roster. They have another lottery pick coming in whenever next season starts. Uh, So I think it's a it's a smart hire for Leon Rose, who has no experience whatsoever as a top uh, basketball executive or as any basketball executive. To hire someone like Walt Perrin with the kind of uh, experience he has on the job
2: how did you feel Chris about the way the Jordan docu series uh, wrapped up last night uh, and uh, let me ask it this way does your sense of journalism sort of pain you a little bit as far as the way these things are presented uh, mostly in favor of the subject at hand
0: yeah I mean look it's it's not it's not a documentary I mean it's it's entertainment. Um, And I don't say that, you know, negatively, like at all. I mean, I think it's brilliant. Like it's, it's wildly entertaining. It's incredibly insightful at times with the access you get to Jordan and, you know, some of the things that, that you hear from him, but it's not meant to be an unvarnished truth. It's, it's supposed to be subjective. I mean, I wrote today that I thought the representation of Jerry Krause over 10 episodes was downright cruel at times. I mean, you know, if, there are many people that watched that documentary that, you know, knew very little or nothing at all of, of the Jordan years and, and what went into them. And they probably came away from that thinking Jerry Krause was, was a caretaker when that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, Jerry Krause had one of the great drafts in NBA history when he came away with Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. Jerry Krause traded Bill Cartwright, or traded uh, for Bill Cartwright, which helped them win three championships. He got, I mean, he got killed for drafting Tony Kukoch. But it's not a general manager's job to, you know, kind of just go along for the ride with the Rosh. You would be thinking about what the Rosh looks like down the line. You need to find replacements uh, for guys. And Kukoc was instrumental in the success in the back half of those championship years. So I just, uh, I thought that that was a little um, little unfair uh, to Krause. But again, as I, as I watch, I remind myself it's not, look, this is a Michael Jordan production in a, in a lot of ways. So it's, it's done through the eyes of Jordan. So when Jordan tells you he had nothing to do with Isaiah Thomas, not being on that team, which any objective journal of the 92 dream team, which any objective journalist tell you is just not true, you understand that. I mean, I thought the the pizza story in Utah was that was a new one. Like, uh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna change it from the flu game to the pizza game, and you're asking us to believe that five guys from a pizza place showed up at your room because what did you say delivered to Michael Jordan that night? I mean, I there's some. I would, just, would have like seeing the pushback on some of the. The tales Jordan told, because some of them felt pretty tall to me.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, Chris. Uh, I know you've been to Salt Lake uh, a few times. You enjoy Park City. I even bumped into you at a, a jazz game a couple of yeah. years ago, and I just wanted to congratulate you visiting our town and getting out of here without being poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I mean, like
0: it just—that was wild. Like, and I feel like and I, I, I've, I've interviewed Tim Grover a number of different times. He's never told that. Like, I mean, I don't, and that's not even like this. This he's never told it to me anyway. That's not even a really some kind of sordid story. It, it's pizza. Like, you're you're not going to tell that story because because why? And look, it, it lends credibility to the fact that maybe he was drunk before. Because I know whenever I'm drunk, I order pizzas and eat the whole thing by myself. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of I mean that's sort of par for the course there. So it just it didn't really close the book on anything for me. That was. That was a wild one. It's like it was a pizza. I mean, it was a pizza, and these, these five guys like delivered a room like seventeen oh two at the Marriott, last name George. I mean, what, what are you doing? Like every NBA player even back then, went, went with a pseudonym. Like even nowadays, like you know, you're more likely to identify like Barney Rubble at a hotel than LeBron James. Like it just, you, you, like it just, it's it, it's it is strange credulity that that was the reason that Michael Jordan was sick. I'm not saying he went to like there's a lot of tales he went to Vegas and partied and. And certainly people might believe that now more based on the Atlantic City story we heard earlier in the doc series but I mean that
2: that was just that was a little bonkers to me. See, now Chris, this is the reason we have you on and why our listeners love you so much is for that kind of insight <laughs> about <laughs> drinking first and then eating a whole pizza by yourself. We, we I can't, we, I probably
0: did that last month. I mean like I mean <laughs> god knows like you you have a few beers, all of a sudden, Domino's on the speed dial. It's like it's, 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 I, I don't know. It's like, that was a wild one.
2: We were laughing about that earlier, saying, "Man, somebody must have known just the right amount of poison to put on that pizza because you don't want you don't want to yeah. kill him, right? You just want to make him."
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's the other part of it. Like there are these five like geniuses at a pizza place working at ten thirty at night that know exactly what to put on a pie that will make Michael Jordan experience flu-like symptoms for game, what was it, five, but be fine for game six. Like, I don't know too many, and no offense to people that work at pizza places, I don't know too many chemists <laughs> that work at these pizza places that are, that are on a dime, on a moment's notice, not knowing Michael Jordan and his company we're going to call can concoct something that will make him sick for 24 hours.
1: Chris Mannix is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. One thing I took out of it that I, I found interesting about that last sequence with the Jazz in in game number six is it was a reminder that Michael was a great athlete, but he really was very cerebral. He knew, uh, you know, Carl was going to get the ball on the block, and he was in the right place to get that steal. And he knew Brian Russell and how he liked to play defense on the balls of his feet and had a tendency to overplay things. I mean, you know, we see the steal and we see the shot, but you realize that that Michael knew the game so well. He always gave himself the advantage, or that's something I took away from it, anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, that, and you know, finding motivation just a sliverest of the cracks. Uh, you know, Brian Russell laughing at him once during a a lockout practice, or a practice when he was off playing baseball, to remember that years later, and use that as a piece of motivation. He clearly got, you know, found ways to wind himself up that that few other players could. But I mean, all the great players I've ever dealt with whether it's Kobe or Michael and now LeBron I mean they are all in addition to being otherworldly physical specimens with talents that, that very few have they are all students of the game and they all you know just have this institutional knowledge and and basketball IQ that's that's as unrivaled as their talent so i I've, there are very few guys I mean maybe you can I mean certainly like guys like Iverson maybe and then others that that relied on just their raw skill and, and talent but For the most part, the all-time greats were every bit as cerebral as they were talented.
2: The other thing that the whole series reminded me of was how low-scoring those games I get it in playoff games, Chris, that typically the the scoring does go down a little bit, but all the games in the 80s uh, during that series, it was was different then. It really was. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason why...
0: You know, a decade later, the NBA changed all their rules so that they had these 113, 112 uh, types of games. They didn't have the slugfest. I mean, I, look, there's certainly an appeal to, to the slugfest, especially late in game, physicality. You, you like to see guys bumping and grinding, having to adjust. But the NBA clearly understood, David Stern understood that, you know, scoring men ratings. And, and that, was, that was something that was, was going to have to be important for the NBA move forward. And he was right. Like, the, the NBA's experienced an incredible surge in ratings of the last couple of decades. And I don't think, I think scoring is, is, is a big part of that. You know, the other thing that I took away from that, and this is a Utah connection is that, you know, when Stockton was on like being interviewed, it looked like he wanted to be anywhere else. Like <laughs> Stockton looked like a guy that like, like I, he, he looked like a guy that didn't realize what like this was going to be. And, he just kind of said, like, no, we weren't, you can hear his responses, like, no, we weren't afraid of him. Why would we be afraid of him? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, every time he responded to a question, it looked like he, he was, like, seconds earlier, he would have had a quizzical look on his face. Like, why are you asking me something like that? It just looked like he just wanted to be anywhere but that spot doing that interview.
1: Chris, you mentioned uh, Jerry Krause and how he was portrayed. Was there anybody else in the docuseries you uh, thought didn't come off so well?
2: Uh,
0: I mean... You know, Krauss was definitely the worst. Um, you know, I, I thought they they tried to make Reinsdorf look good, but it, at times, like Reinsdorf, like it just seemed like he was he was just sort of making things up. He was going along, and even at the end, when he was saying what he was saying about why that team wasn't back, it wasn't brought back together. It looks like he was just trying to find explanations for it, but that wasn't even the documentary framing him poorly that was just his own words uh, you know kind of killing him there and then locking him up so i i think krauss was really the biggest the biggest villain of it all Again, just because it doesn't appreciate it doesn't take into account just the i mean he's a hall of fame executive how many hall of fame executives granted one that made an enormous amount of mistakes along the way like many executives do and and certainly you could argue had some kind of the the complex about you know his role you know in the success of that team, but you know, everybody else I thought was 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 okayly portrayed for the most part.
2: You know I, I uh, have picked against Jordan before. In fact, I picked against him in '98. I should have learned my lesson. But Chris, uh, do you agree with Jordan that uh, title number seven would have been achieved if uh, if that team had been left alone? first of all,
0: there was there's no chance they would have won a title because there's no chance that team would have been back together. Like, I mean, God love Jordan, but because like he just like any great player, he thinks that like he can will something back into existence. You look at Pippen, Kerr, and Luke Longley. That off season after the lockout ended, all three players signed the longest and richest deals. Of their careers you're telling me that in an age where guys weren't getting paid all that much and we saw throughout the the series i mean scotty pippen was furious about his money over time you're telling me they all would have taken short-term deals to come back and win a seventh championship like that's not even like a double digit thing like you're gonna come back and win seven guys that have won three or in the case of pippen six they're gonna come back and take less money To go for a seventh championship, that's insane. Scottie Pippen was only going to get like, could only get like a one-year, I think it was a fourteen million dollar deal from the Bulls. He got eighty million from the Houston Rockets. (laughs) Like that's there's there's no way you could have brought that team back together. And look, even if you did, you can make the argument that they were 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 pretty bad. You know that they got the most out of that team. Scottie went to Houston and, and was bad. Like he was done there a year or two later. Dennis Rodman played 35 games the rest of his career for two teams. Um, you know, Luke Longley was banged up; he didn't last long in Phoenix. When he he went there, he was only there a couple of years. So, uh, no, I, I think you know it's 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 certainly an unprovable theory, but I, I think there's no chance they would have come back and won a championship there. If, if they even got to the finals, you know, Duncan and the Spurs would have steamrolled them.
1: Chris, as always, thank you very much. Have a great week. You got it, guys. Our friend Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated on your daily assist right here on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.